Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This album is called Sports 1983. There are only three words. Yes. Got it right. Because this record was the record that assured us that we were going to be around for a little while. It was the third record in our, in our contract. It was a do-or-die record. And we had to have a hit single. You're listening to The Growing Up Rock Podcast with Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. All right, Hollywood, we're getting towards the end of the year now, and the album pickings are getting slim. So tonight's 40th anniversary album series brings us to an album that you picked, and why you picked this, I have no idea. This is the second doo-wop album that we're doing in this year. I mean, growing up doo-wop, is that the name of the new podcast? I, I don't know what's going on here, but tonight we've got Huey Lewis's 40th anniversary celebration of sports, which is an album that sold 450 billion copies because I think every song on it was released as a single except for maybe three of them. Anyway, as we do with most of these uh, album series episodes, we got to bring on a special guest to kind of mediate the fighting that goes on between both of us. So tonight we bring back to the show from the Ages of Rock podcast, Bill Algy. Bill, how's it going, bud? It is going okay. And I get to be on this time, and I didn't get to pick a shitty record. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't we don't know that yet. So here's the text I sent Bill on December fifth, by the way. So you were one of the yeah, first that was a long ones. Time I, ago, uh, yeah, you were one of the first ones I went to. I said, uh, "Hey, you know, we're doing the 40th anniversary thing. Here are the choices that are left, and I can't share one of them yet because we haven't done that one yet." 
Headhunter by Crocus, Living in Oz, Rick Springfield, Holy Diver Dio, Body Wishes, Rod Stewart, Keep It Up, Lover Boy, Kill Em All, Metallica, Sports, Huey Lewis, and you pick sports. And hey, I gave you plenty of rock options in there if you wanted them. I think I just looked at it and went, you know, and I don't know why I didn't pick the, I didn't, I don't know why I didn't pick the Dio record. That's like one of my favorite records, but you know, it's okay. We'll, we'll do a little, we'll do a little, uh, a little pop radio tonight. See how this works out. <laughs> Look, make no mistake about it. Huey Lewis and the news is a rock band. Uh, for most people, they want to debate that, but uh, it is a rock band. It may be a different type of rock band, maybe not a hard rock or metal band, obviously, but definitely a rock and roll band. So we're looking forward to getting into some of this stuff. So what's going on over there at the Ages of Rock podcast? Well, um, you know, we, we went on a little run where we were uh, struggling a little bit. So we took a couple of weeks off and then came back and all of a sudden there's like five episodes done. So we're, we're, it's like feast or famine, right? So I um, had a couple of good guests on and some new bands and stuff like that, which, you know, the, the good thing about doing the podcast is you get to discover some new people and sometime you discover them and you kind of go, wow. And then uh, not a chance. And then sometime you discover them and we've, we've had a pretty good run here lately where there are some pretty good bands that are out there trying to get going and stuff like that. So I think that's, that's the cool part of doing this. You get to get privy to some new stuff. So got a couple episodes coming up. So I think we're, we're good for the next month or so on, on episodes, which is kind of cool. But Dennis took off a little bit. He was gone for two weeks or something like that. He went to Europe and traveled around Europe and I don't know. He turned into, he wore a beret for a while, which freaked me out. And then he was like, <laughs> I don't know, he changed his name to Peppy or something. I changed his name to Peppy. <laughs> he called himself something else. And I said, no, your name's Peppy. <laughs> Bill, you said struggling, struggling for topics or just. Yeah. You know, you just kind of get in that. We, I, you know, honestly, I kind of thought we were kind of in a little bit of a rut. We were doing like top 10, this and top 10, that, and okay, this is the, this is the, uh, you know, 40th anniversary of this record, or it was, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. And we just kind of felt like we were doing that like often and really, you know, kind of wanted to get back to where we had some more people on and stuff like that. So we, we got some access to some folks and it helped us out a little bit. So now we're back in the groove. So we're back in the uh, podcast groove, back, back in the podcast groove. Oh, so basically grown up rock. <laughs> It's hard, man. We've been doing this for this is we just did like the episode we just did was like 356. It's not like it's been a day. It's been a shit ton of days. You know, it's It's funny. The more you do this and the longer into the career of the podcast that you go, I mean, literally, you just start kind of getting to the point to where it's like, all right, we've covered just about everything. I've even bought some things to Sonny and he'll be like wait a minute i think we did that and you go back like 150 episodes and you're like holy shit yeah we did already cover this or whatever we've gotten to the point now to where we've just created these series basically and you know make the series meet our needs it's just easier for us we still have a good time we're still able to branch out and talk about different bands and different music and stuff like that but we've we've opened it up a little bit to where we're not just so streamlined hard rock and metal even though we're probably you know 85 90 percent of that but we branch out a little bit i mean this year we've done the album series and covered records like the one we're covering tonight along with 
Rod Stewart and Billy Joel and things like that, which, you know, three, four years ago, we probably would have never done, but we're doing it now and it's okay. It's, I mean, we're here to enjoy it ourselves. We're not here to do something we don't enjoy just for the sake of getting listeners. We hope that people listen and we hope that they like it, but we're here for ourselves mostly. A hundred percent. That's exactly what, anytime anybody asks me, like, why do you do a podcast? I'm like, it's therapeutic. It's really for us. It's really for me and, and, and the guys. It's really for us to be able to hang out for an hour or so, you know, you know, every week or every other week or whatever, and just shoot the shit and have a conversation and enjoy each other's company and whatever. And, you know, when it becomes work, I'm going to probably hit the door. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sonny and I have said that many a times. We don't, we've got regular jobs. We don't need another regular job. Especially one that doesn't pay you. (laughs) If there were, you know, 150,000 or 1 million listeners out there, I might work a little harder at it because I could probably earn some money that way. But considering the fact that uh, that ain't the case, (laughs) I'm not working that hard. I've explained it to my family this way. When you're growing up and you're 15 and 16 years old and you went to school every day, you were able to have these conversations with friends about music because you were all sort of into the same thing and the same on weekends. You'd go to the mall. You'd have these conversations around the record store and stuff like that. Then you grow up, you get jobs. Friends move away, friends get married, friends have kids. You don't have those conversations anymore. And so that part of your life is kind of missing. And really, the podcast is just a way to bring that part of your life back to adulthood. And you can have these conversations and then, you know, get up the next morning, take the kids to school, go to your job and, you know, be a regular adult. But you get to do this for an hour and a half, two hours a night or every other night or once a week or whatever it is. And and so to me, that's been very fulfilling. Yeah. We, and we definitely had the good thing about this, too, is I think, you know, when, when we got into this, that first rocking pod that everybody went to down in Nashville and it was kind of like, what is this thing going to be? And then here we are almost, what, seven years later. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of us have are still maintained a friendship and we could call each other if we need to, and we can, you know, whatever, which is really cool. And, you know, had we not done that, it had been a different world, I think. I think we would have probably stopped a lot long, a long time ago, to be honest. I think we would have. But I think just that encouragement that we get from you know each other and stuff like that, even though, you know, we, it, I struggle to listen to other people's podcasts sometimes. Hell, I don't listen to my own because I'm on it. So there's no point in listening to it. And I try to listen to, ever, to other people's too, but, you know, time just gets away from you. So I get it. But but I think the friendships that we made through have as well are, is really important. And, you know, I buy like, I'll buy Julian Gill's books because Julian's a cool dude and I like him a lot. And, you know, so I just bought the new book that he's got coming out and it's like, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff we support each other and stuff like that. Sonny and I talked a couple of weeks ago, traded some messages, so didn't make it over there, but you know, that was a goal was to try to get there. So I think that's the cool part is the relationships we've made through this stuff too. Oh yeah. You were, uh, we were supposed to go to quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he goes, oh, I forgot. I got stuff to do with my wife. I'm like, really, dude? Seriously? <laughs> well, I, I had, I, yeah, I just totally like, and she's, and then, and then we get like at five o'clock, she's like, well, you know, if you want to go, go ahead. I'm like, no, it's <laughs> like, forget it now. <laughs> yeah. The other thing the podcast does for me is, you know, would I really ever sit down 
and listen to Bruce Springsteen, right? Like I've not liked Bruce Springsteen in my life. Huddy reached out and goes, Hey, I'm going to send you some songs. Listen, come be on my podcast. I'm like, all right. So I sat down and I gave Bruce Springsteen a good solid listening. Yeah. I don't like it. I confirmed it. It was worth it. Okay. He sucks. I don't like it. Didn't change your opinion. No, it didn't, but it did confirm it. Sometimes that affirmation is important. <laughs> I wonder if I would seek out near as much new music as I seek out these days if I was not doing a podcast. I think I would be one of those old rocker guys that basically listened to all the classic albums I grew up with and nothing else. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. There's a lot of stuff that we've come across that we've been given or or whatever that it's really pretty good stuff. I mean, I, that I do really like, and you know, the unfortunate part about it is it'll never, it's never, it, most of it's never going to go anywhere. That's the very unfortunate part about it. Cause there's nothing out there that's, you know, trying to play it. Now, Alan, now Alan does play stuff on his A to Z radio. He'll, if we get a band on and they've got a new single coming out and we've had them on the show, he'll, you know, put them on his, on his radio station. But even that, I mean, you're not getting millions of listens or anything like that, you know, but you're right. You know, it, it does open us up to being, to be able to get, a hold of some other bands that we don't really get a chance to see or hear all yeah. the time. Bill, you're the target customer for Moss as a rock cruise. How come we haven't seen you on there? You know, I don't know. I, I, I want, I do want to go. I really do. I've just got to convince the missus to either let me go or go with me and then sit in the corner. <laughs> so I haven't figured out which one to do, which how it's going to work. And I think right right now we just the last couple of years with with uh, my son being gone to school and then we us us traveling up there as much as we did. Now they they're getting married and so our finances have changed a little bit because we have to help pay for weddings. So that's uh, and then I found out that last week I get to pay for, or get to help pay for another one. So <laughs> that's <laughs> it's uh my financial uh, out, outlook is changing a little bit. So we have to we have to we have to. But I would love to go on the Monsters of Rock. You know, I really never had any. I never had any desire to go on the Kiss cruise at all. It never really, it, just because I I've seen those guys a thousand times. If I went, I'd only want to, I'd only go to see Bruce's band. I mean, really, don't give a shit about anybody else. You know, to be honest. And that's so. And and now you know you can watch. I've watched every one of them. Uh, you know, on YouTube, either the day after they happen or you know mm-hmm. right when people get back. So it's worth it from that perspective. But I would like to go in the Monsters of Rock because seeing a lot of different people. Um, I, I think that that's the cool thing about those things. Um, and even people are like, "What kind of music do you like?" I like all kinds of stuff. But like lately, like uh, Friday night, I was in Terre Haute, Indiana, went to see Winger and um, Firehouse. Firehouse. Yeah. yeah, Winger Firehouse, uh, uh, Jack Russell's Great White, and Nelson opened, which was kind of cool. It was supposed to be somebody else, but they couldn't make the two weeks ago. They had to cancel and I forget who it was. Oh, Steelheart. Yeah. The lead singer was sick. He's got some kind of something going on. Um, and if his vocals aren't good, there's no point in going. Cause that's right. That's the man. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't say his name, so I'm not going to butcher it. <laughs> so there you go. Um, and then Friday night or Sunday night, I was at, uh, in Indy. Um, and there was the Brett Michaels party girl thing. It's got going on, which is pretty cool. I mean, it was, um, wasn't, it wasn't bad. Man, Mark McGrath was just freaking. That was that was a disaster. Um, <laughs> I expected it to be a disaster, and it was a disaster. I thought Jefferson Starship did a really good job. You know, they have one one remaining member, which, well, drummer and and a, a background keyboard uh, person that was still an original member. And then uh, Steve Agarari, which I messed that name up too, didn't sound very good. But man, they overall they did a pretty good job. It was fun. 
All right, so let's move on to what we're all here for tonight, which is discussion of Huey Lewis's third album, Sports. Bill, what's your history with this album and Huey Lewis and the news in general? You know, being a child of the 80s, you know, it was right in the ballpark in that era. I was into a lot of rock and metal at the time, but I also had a girlfriend that was not into a lot of rock and metal at the time. So I had to split my time between uh, what was on the radio that I could stomach <laughs> and then the uh, station I listened to that had the metal going. So I kind of, you know, it, th- that was my introduction. And actually, I have a lot of their stuff. I even have The Weathered, which is the last record that he did. And I've listened to that a couple of times. It's pretty good too. So it, it's, he's kind of carried it through and, you know, he's got some health problems and stuff like that. Now I think is what's going on with him. So that's kind of sad, but there were a couple of people during that time frame that just ruled the airwaves and he was one of them. Just, I mean, you couldn't turn radio on and not hear it. And at some points it kind of makes you want to hurl. Cause it's like, there are so many other things out there, but on the other side of it, you said it 7 million copies sold. Yeah. About 375. <laughs> Seven million. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Sonny, I'm guessing you're a child of MTV, so that's your first experience with Huey Lewis in the news? Yeah, so the videos were all over MTV all the time. Plus, I'm in San Francisco, right? So every FM and AM station, every Top 40 station is playing these songs nonstop. You would think every Journey song, every Night Ranger song, and every Huey Lewis song is number one in the country. Right, Because you don't know. You're just hearing it all the time. I liked this album better than the previous stuff when I went backwards. I did, probably didn't get this album until like 85 or 86. But when you heard older Huey Lewis stuff, it felt new wave. And this was more like pop and rock. So it was more into kind of what I was getting into. And then, you know, when you start doing a little research and you hear stuff uh, about People didn't love Huey's voice. They didn't think it would sell on record. They thought the same thing about Richard Marks. Then the whole like underdog thing comes into play and their hometown. So it was hard not being Huey Lewis and newest fan and being San Francisco because it was just too many boxes being checked. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, of course, I couldn't get away from it on MTV or radio. I heard the songs. I was like you, Bill. I was a big uh, metal fan at the time, so I really didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it. But I remember in particular one Christmas that we went up to visit family in Chicago, and I had a nephew that was completely into Huey Lewis in the news. And he's like, man, have you heard this cassette? And he whipped out sports and he had the cassette. And, you know, I was trying to be all cool because I was a metalhead and here this uh, nephew is and he's listening to this kind of pop stuff. And I really didn't give it a whole bunch of chance, but he certainly did uh, love that stuff. That's for sure. <laughs> so that was my first experience with uh, Huey Lewis and, and this record in particular. So it all kind of came at the same time for me. Yeah. So I saw him live twice in 89. I saw him live once in 91. And then I've seen him at least three times, possibly four, like doing the star, uh, doing the anthem at like baseball games and stuff. Right. Cause they would show up at a football game or I think they were at an XFL game once that I was at. They were at an A's game. They'd be a Giants game. You know, you know, you have the person come out and do whatever and they would come out and do it a cappella because they were there. 
Right. So I have a interesting story. It's the only time that I've seen Huey Lewis live, to be honest. I was on the road somewhere in the 90s with an artist named Martin Page. Martin was a uh, adult contemporary artist. He had uh, some big radio hits, and uh, he's written a couple of huge hits, like he co-wrote We Built the City for Starship and the Heart song These Dreams, I think. It was the either These Dreams or Never. I can't remember which one. I think it was These Dreams, but he co-wrote that as well, and his album did really well, but we went on this tour where we were playing radio shows and one of the radio shows we played was with blessed union of souls remember that band oh yeah and huey lewis and the news and we played a big amphitheater and it was the three artists and i'll I'll see if you guys can see this but (laughs) is that huey that's huey and that's me huey was hammered big time this was after the show uh they had already played their show this was during you know around loadout time and everybody was just kind of hanging out but he was cool to me he was nice uh but he was hammered and uh they put on a great show they were fantastic live i watched it uh from the side of the stage and thought that they were good you know and that was the only time that i've ever seen uh huey lewis in the news we saw i saw him in indy in on May 16th of 1987, I went back and was able to figure out what the date was because Lisa and I were trying to figure it out. And then we saw him again. I think we saw him. Well, we, we know we saw him again, and I think it was in 88 or 89. And I do. So we just couldn't get that nailed down, but it was we're pretty close. But um, yeah, it was. I know the one time we saw him was at Market Square Arena. So. Yeah. which is pretty cool oh yeah and you're seeing them in the late 80s and i remember he they had it down by that time they were king of the world thanks to the movies yep. and all that shit man they were the place was packed and they were on top of their game and that band knew what yep. the hell they were doing yep yep that's for sure it was an exciting time i mean there was a lot of a lot of music out at that time that still really good stuff and still really resonates at least with us 50 some years old <laughs> i don't know about the rest of the country but Please make sure you hit that follow button to subscribe to Growing Up Rock Podcast so you don't miss an episode. All right, so we're going to go over some basic facts about the album. The album was released September 15th of 1983. It was recorded December 82 through June 83. The recording studios were Fantasy Studios in Berkeley, California, Record Plant in Sausalito, California, and the Automat in San Francisco. Length of the record is right at 3746. The label is Chrysalis Records. The producers were Huey Lewis and the News. The singles released were Heart and Soul, I Want a New Drug, The Heart of Rock and Roll, If This Is It, Walking on a Thin Line. Wouldn't it just be easier to say these were the songs that we didn't release as singles off this record? (laughs) Probably make a whole lot of sense. The album is certified seven times platinum. The lineup consists of Huey Lewis, Mario Cipollina, Johnny Cola, Bill Gibson, Chris Hayes, and Sean Hopper. Let's talk about the album artwork. So the album cover features Huey Lewis and the news on the album cover in kind of a pub. Of course, that goes along with the fact that the album is called Sports, so it's sort of a sports bar. Well, the title came from, you know, Huey Lewis and the News Sports. 
And it occurred to me that most people's definition of sports, how they experience sports, was in a bar watching television. Yeah, Bennett Hall did that, and I was very hungover that day. I just remember I felt terrible all day long. I thought, this is never going to work. And it turned out fine. It was shot at a, the 2 a.m. club, which is affectionately referred to as the Deuce in Mill Valley, California. And there's a lot of little things in there. The toilet seat guitar by Charlie Deal that hangs on the wall. He was kind of a legend in Mill Valley. On the television, we put up a picture of my pal Dwight Clark making a catch for the 49ers. Obviously, we come from San Francisco, so I've always been a 49er fan, Giants and 49ers. And uh, in the 80s, we got to be pals with a lot of the players. Bill, what are your thoughts on this album cover? Yeah, I think the album cover is really cool. And actually, I do have the album cover, so I'm not looking at a CD or some picture. Yeah. I got to get my hands right here. There you go. There you go. Yeah, it, it is really a pretty cool record. You know, thinking about it, that would it's like a sports bar. Yeah. So I think it was very apropos for, you know, the right thing. It wasn't, it could have been, they could have had all of them in some kind of sports uniforms or something like that. But this kind of, I think this is kind of a little more upscale kind of cool. I think it's kind of cool. People watch sports and bars, and I think it's appropriate, even including a dartboard. And I think I've drank a lot of those, actually. <laughs> Sonny, what's your thoughts on the record? Yeah, the picture's done through a weird filter we were talking about. Can't tell if it's a painting or not, or if it's just grainy. There's parts of it that feel like a painting, but not really. And, you know, most people don't know who the news is, right? If you hear the names, great, whatever. So just in case you're looking at a picture of the album right now, let me help you with that. So started Huey Lewis because, well, he's the biggest guy on the page. And then go clockwise. That's Chris Hayes on guitar in the gray shirt. That's Johnny Cola on the saxophone with a beer in front of him. Bill Gibson is the dude who's a drummer. He's got his glasses on. Sean Hopper is the keyboardist who's in the distance. And that's Mario Cipollina as the bartender. He's the bass player. So that's who's who on that picture, just so you kind of know. But, you know. Most people just call them the news, obviously, because nobody knows those names. Um, I think it's a good idea with the sports bar thing, and I think it's cool that they weren't wearing jerseys and stuff because mm -hmm. then you kind of get this like cheesy fan vibe versus the doo-wop kind of cool hippie 50s type of vibe that they're trying to go for anyway. Yeah, the other cool thing about the cover is the, the only thing that's really sporty about the cover is if you look at the word sports in the bottom – it looks sporty. Yeah. That label is, is, uh, and font size. I don't even know if they call it a font back then. So yeah. <laughs> they called it back then. Typeset. Uh, <laughs> it has a sporty look to it. But other than that, it looks just like a, you know, just kind of a bar. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned sports. What that reminds me of is the ABC Sports logo. It's in that same color yellow and yeah. same font. That's what it reminds me of. Yeah, makes sense. Yep, I agree. Like what you're hearing? Share this episode out. Post it to your favorite social network and let people know you're listening to the Growing Up Rock podcast. It will help us grow and we greatly appreciate it. 1984. Rolling Stone magazine calls it pop music's greatest year. Thriller, Purple Rain, Born in the USA just to list some of the year's big hits. And it was your breakout year. I think you would agree. It was. Our, our record was released in 83. 
Right. But we only have one single in 83. All the rest of them were in 84. But your album, Sports, was the second best-selling record of 1984. And I, I repeat for emphasis, the competition was really tough. Yeah. But at this point in your career, you really needed to hit. I mean, you had the hit single, but you needed this album to really score. That's it. The Sports was our third album. And even in spite of the single on the second album, we only sold 250,000 copies. It sounds like a lot of copies today because nobody sells a lot of records, but that wasn't a lot of records back then. Right. So our third album was really a make or break record for us. And we produced it ourselves. We were convinced we had to make our own records. And fortunately, our record label, Chrysalis, was 6,000 miles away, so they couldn't really control us. Right. So we decided we're going to make our own record. And we knew we needed a hit record. You know, 1983, if you think back, was all about radio. There were no internet, no jam bands, no there were no cell phones, there was no computers. It was all about radio, and radio was certainly no personal computers. Right, right. Uh, there were there were yeah, yeah. big, huge yeah. Uh, so we aimed every track at radio. So let's get to the tracks. First track is Harder Rock and Roll. Totally danceable. So catchy. And, you know, Huey's trying to be a good boy, not saying ass when he's supposed to. Bill, what do you <laughs> think about the Harder Rock and Roll? I think it's a great way to start this record. That beginning with the heartbeat in the, in the very beginning just kind of gets it going and kind of like, oh, what's that about? And the interesting thing is, if I remember right, when they were playing this on the radio, the song started that way, even on the radio, which a lot of times that's not how it works. They clip it. They, you know, that's when you've got your DJ talking over the top of it and stuff like that. But for the most part, they started it with that song. And that's when you uh, kind of knew you need to probably pay attention. But it's a great song. I think it's a great opener for the record. Um, you know, usually when I listen to records like this for reviews, I look and see is, is that the right first song? Right. Because I'm one of those guys that if the first song doesn't hook me, I'm not listening to the rest. I don't care what the rest of it is. So you got to get my attention in the first uh, two and a half, three minutes. So, yeah, I think it's a great song. I like it a lot. So, Stephen, it topped out at six. Here's the five songs it couldn't beat. Sister Christian was number five. Oh, Sherry was number four. Let's Hear It for the Boy, which is Denise Williams, for those who don't know, was at number three. The Reflex at two and Time After Time at one. It wasn't getting past six, basically. No. <laughs> and, uh, Stephen, this is, by the way, Blender Magazine. I don't know what the fuck Blender Magazine is. It's listed as one of the 50 worst songs ever. Blender Magazine really? is stupid. Oh, I have one simple request. 
and that is to have sharks with frickin' laser beams attached to their heads. Now, evidently, my cycloptic colleague informs me that that can't be done. Uh, can you remind me what I pay you people for? Honestly, throw me a bone here. We need to get yeah. those assholes on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and have a little discussion <laughs> yeah that's completely asinine because i can uh fart 50 songs that are worse than this uh in my sleep you got a personal issue with huey lewis or with this song uh maybe you broke up to a girlfriend with it or something who knows i don't know but the heart of rock and roll is a great classic sort of old school rock and roll vibe type song with the saxophone and everything else in it written by Johnny Cole and Huey Lewis. I read that it was inspired by a gig that they did in Cleveland and they wrote it as sort of an opposition to LA and New York saying, Hey, you know, Cleveland is a place for rock and roll as well, which over the years, I think that that's become very true. I mean, a lot of rock and roll has taken place in Cleveland in that area. In fact, I mean, what you got the rock and roll hall of fame somewhere in that area. Uh, so it makes sense why they would have written a song such as this. So yeah, I enjoy this song. It's good. All right. So trivia time for the both of you. What's the first city that's mentioned city or state that's mentioned in the song oh geez not sunny poony trivia Come on. God, dang it new york it's new york right new york new york is everything they say what's the yeah. last city oh man boston no I don't, I don't Steven? atlanta no remember detroit hotter rock oh, and yeah. roll oh yeah and that's it <laughs> Come on. That's right. For all you guys. Um, all right. <laughs> Second song we got, Heart and Soul. Bill, like, first of all, I didn't know it was an Exile cover when I first heard it. I went back and listened to the Exile song. The Exile song is not good. It was released in 81. What I love about this song, even though it's a little more mid-tempo, dude, that delay of the vocal in the verses is such an earworm, right? Calling, calling, right? It just, I don't know what it is about that, but that hooks you. To where it takes you all the way through the course. Another great song, to be honest. Yeah, this record is really hard to not go. Just go, just rubber stamp this and move it. <laughs> it's just like, man, how lucky could a band be that this is the third record and it is it just put out this thing that just is just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, yeah, every band strives for that, and they they got a, they got a run of them actually. Yeah, a great song, great single. You know, just. A definite, you know, thinking about how it's how it's tracked on the record. I mean, it's just perfect. One, you know, moving from one song to the next. That that's an absolute, you know, fact. Just great energy.
Stephen, this one topped out at number eight. Here was the seven songs I couldn't beat. And we know all these songs. There are some great songs in the 80s. That's just all there is to it, right? Number seven, or say it isn't so, Hall and Oates. Six, Love is a Battlefield. Five was Come on, Field and Noise. Four was Islands in the Stream by Kenny Rogers, Dolly Parton, if you don't know. Three was Uptown Girl. Two was Say, Say, Say with McCartney and Jackson. And number one was All Night Long, which is a diamond album for Lionel Richie. You're not going to beat those. You're stuck. You're stuck at eight. You know, I don't even know how it works today. Do you guys know? How, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny. I don't know how they do charts. <laughs> because yeah, single, I'm not sure. It can't be a singles chart because you don't have that that stuff happening. Yeah, I'm not it's, sure. There's, I don't. It's interesting. I can't imagine going up against those guys and the the what you're trying to figure out. Okay, this is what's coming up the chart. This is who's releasing this on this day. This is the single we're going to release and see how it goes. Yeah. Maybe we'll hit a top ten. Hey, we'll take a top ten. Yeah. Maybe that was a, maybe that was a theory. Oh, we'll take yeah. a top ten. Yeah. Top ten's a win. Steven, your thoughts on the song? Yeah, so like you said, it's an old Exile song. And one of the things that stuck out to me, it's written by Mike Chapman and Nikki Chin. After I got done listening to the recent Holly Knight book that she released and having done the Thanking the Greats episode on Holly Knight, I think Mike Chapman was a big writing partner with Holly. Uh, that was an early partnership in her career, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's a great song. I enjoy this song quite a bit. To Bill's point, it really, really sequencing is important, and it helps this album flow right out of the gate from song one to song two. All right, next song, we got Bad is Bad, total doo-wop feel. Bill, I don't know if you've ever heard this album on headphones, but that chainsaw buzzing goes from ear to ear. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, what would you think about the song? Uh, you know, I like the doo-wop stuff that he does. And in, in live, it comes across live amazing. And I remember, I do vividly remember seeing this done live. They did a little, I think they did like a two or three song medley of doo-wop stuff. And uh, I mean, just, I remember getting the chills. It just, seeing guys do that acapella with no instruments and just, you know, stripped down. That just shows the professionalism and their ability to, you know, they just killed it. It was amazing. No backing tapes. <laughs> no, no, no backing tapes. No, no, no computers either. You couldn't take your computer with you to, to right. help you. <laughs> yeah, Stephen. Like you know this this doo-wop field. That's one thing. I think what ended up happening with Huey, he would mix some guitar in it, and then like even the harmonica gives us gives it mm -hmm. like this Mississippi blues sound that they're trying to catch a lot of people with one song doing a lot of different things that blend together, right, Stephen? Yeah, I really, really enjoy the whole tempo change in this song and the pace of this song. It has a very cool feel to me. This song is perfectly placed in the album for me because after the first two songs, the tempo change, this is a great example of them changing a tempo without writing or placing a ballad there. You know, so it's not a ballad. It's still a rocking tune, but it has a whole different feel than the first two songs on the record. I really like it. I'm 
All right. So then next we get a want a new drug. So let me catch everybody up on the story because there's a lot of stories out there about this song, right? So Columbia Pictures, who are the producers of Ghostbusters, they go and offer Huey Lewis and the News to write the main theme, band declines, okay? So in 84, they go and hire Ray Parker Jr. to do the title song. They want to give Ray an idea of what they want the song to sound like. So they give him, I want a new drug behind like some of the film footage that he got, okay? To give Ray an idea of, hey, this kind of kind of song we want. So then obviously Ray Parker Jr. goes and writes a song that's similar to I want a new drug because basically Columbia Pictures handed that to him. Huey Lewis go and sue Parker because they're like, look, that song is too close. <laughs> and it went to number one. And according to Huey, he's like, look, he's hurting our money because he took our basic melody and went number one with it. They settled out of court. What then stupid Huey is on a behind the music and said shit about it. But part of the deal was you're not supposed to say nothing. So then Ray Parker Jr. sued Huey back. And there's some talk about got all the money back that he lost on the actual settlement out of court. So what are you going to do? Right. Bill, when I listen to the two songs. Yeah, they're similar. I wonder, are you able to talk about the lawsuit at all? I, I can't talk about the lawsuit. Okay, nothing whatsoever. Unfortunately. I did not know that story, but man, that is that is a fact. They are, they are really close. They are, and I do remember the suing part. And I remember I remember that now that you say it, but I didn't think about it when I was listening to it earlier. But yeah, they're definitely in the same vein. There's not a lot of, you know, you can't you can't deny that. There's no way, you know. And for me, it was you know I think about about album placement, you know, uh, you know song placement on the album. You know, I think this would have been a good song to start the second side with because it almost had a similar beginning as what the first song, you know, as what Heart of Rock and Roll has it kind of had that same kind of intro to a degree, which would kind of been kind of cool. But I think you needed this song to really end side one. After you got the doo-wop song, it was back to, you know, a little more rock stuff and, and uh, kind of reset mm-hmm. it to flip it over for the second side. But yeah, another great song. I mean, it's going to be hard to say bad song on this one. <laughs> yeah. And Stephen, this song, it is a little more rock because there's some guitar noodling kind of hidden in there with the sax solo and all that stuff that's happening. But this song topped out at six. Here's the five songs it couldn't beat. Here Comes the Rain Again was number five. Four was Footloose. Three was Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Two was Somebody's Watching Me. Remember that Rockwell song? I know we oh, feel God. like. Because Michael did the hook, right? So that, that went to number two. And Jump was number one. Vive and oh, Halen, geez. right? So they're going to yeah. get stuck at six, Stephen. I mean, what are you going to do? I'm not a big Eurythmics fan, so I would have been okay with them. <laughs> I'd like to see him buy it, you know, over, jump over uh, the Eurythmics on that one. Yeah. It would have been good. It's funny, though, when we talk about the songs from the charts at this point in time, it's like every song is a classic song <laughs> that people still, <laughs> right. still remember today. And it's like, okay, visit 2023, 20 years from now, and talk about the top six songs on the charts. And I guarantee you, nobody knows none. Them. <laughs> no, nobody knows them or none of them. Or, you know, they might know the artist, but they won't know the song. I, I don't know. It's just, 
I'd hate to be that old dude on the porch, but God damn, music was so much better back then, man. In my day, you little kids, my day, music was killer. Yeah. Honestly, my, my theory about that is there is not a pop person out there that I can even, I mean, I can name Taylor Swift, but to name another, I'm talking about somebody that does pop music and stuff like, you know, I, I don't know that I can name somebody else right now, to be honest. I don't know that. I probably would if I really thought about it, but yeah, it depends on what you think pop is, right? If you think Bruno yeah, Mars is pop, then Bruno Mars is out there. Yeah, br- yeah, yeah. If yeah, you yeah. think the but, chain smokers are pop, chain smokers are out there. If you think Sam Smith is pop, you know, Stephen knows a lot about Sam Smith. So yeah, but two, but 10 years from now. Yeah. Nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to care. Yeah. And my and that's kids the important- love these 80 songs. So yeah, mine that too. means there's good pairing, good pairing, right? Sonny. Right. So that means even this generation, when this generation is in making movies and making TV shows 20 years from now, these 80 songs are going to keep popping up. That's okay. Yeah, it's good. The legacy will live on. Steven, a good idea to comparing love to a drug or no? I don't know. They said it was open, open to interpretation with what the word drug means. Sure. Why not? Love is a drug. Hell, there's songs out there called Love is a Drug. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that love can be compared to a drug. Why not? Yeah, I definitely think it's a drug. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So the next song, Walking on a Thin Line, Bill, so now we're talking about Vietnam vets, you know, whether it's returning from the war, whether it's a song about them acclimating back into society, whatever it is, it's definitely a more serious song. But honestly, they did a good job of not making it too much of a downer, right? Yeah, it still, it's, it, this is probably more, I don't know if the right word, more ballady than the other, you know, the, the other songs on the, on the record, but I think it really did a good job of not being not being just a completely soft song, but it has a really good message, and I think that it was a good way to start off start off the, the second side. So great, it's a great song. So I, I just want to hear who the people were that beat this song out too. Yeah, the problem is this one was number eighteen, so there was yeah, too this many one was to way list. down the pile, yeah. way down the list, too many to list. But Stephen, this is where you hear a lot of guitar melody in this song. I'll tell you what. I know it was a single, but this song is what I would consider an extremely unassuming killer song. I mean, I I love this song. I really, really like this song. Every time it comes on, I love the melody to it. I love the feel of this song. To be honest, I never really paid attention that much to the lyrics, so I really didn't know the backstory to the song and the lyrics. Uh, until we did this episode and I did my homework, but this song shows up on my playlist pretty regularly, more so than uh, any other Huey Lewis songs, to be honest. So, yeah, I, I just I dig it. Oh, my God. 
Next up, we have finally found a home. Finally, we get to a single that didn't chart at all. You know, Bill, it's a song about uh, growing up in like some sort of competitive society. And the song is about kind of falling into the music business because maybe you couldn't be an athlete or whatever. Yeah. And for me, this song is is a little more of a rock song than, you know, some of the other stuff on the record. It seems a little bit more poppy. But I thought this was more rock driven, at least the guitars at the beginning of the song, stuff like that. I think it was really kind of set it apart a little bit, too. You know, it didn't to me, it didn't. It definitely fits the record. But when you look at the singles that were put out, I think that may be why it didn't really do as well. Yeah. And Stephen, to me, it had movie soundtrack written all over it. Right. You can feel a, a montage of a guy working somewhere because he finally found something he's good at and the song plays for, you know, 83 seconds and you see all these different things the guy's doing, that kind of thing. Yeah, 100% I agree with that. There's more of a riff to this song, uh, and this is definitely one of the songs that I did not know. I was like, I have no clue about this song. I didn't know the title. When I, when I played the song, I was like, I don't know this song at all. But I actually like it. I mean, it's not a bad song uh, in terms of just, you know, straight up. Like I said, it's it's a little bit more on the pop side, just like Bill said. And I like the riff in it. It's a good tune. Then we get to If This Is It, and Bill, what my favorite part of this song is, first of all, it's an absolutely perfect chorus, right? But to me, I love the, look, if we're done, just say it. There's no reason to be angry, right? And that feeling of that song is awesome. And do you remember the video? <laughs> Isn't there a shark in the video? Yeah, because remember, he's walking on the beach. Oh, that's right. And he's there looking at the girl shark. going, I thought you were with me. Like, what the hell's going on? Yep, I do remember that. And that was a that was a big deal. I remember them people talking about that a lot. Yeah. That they were the, about the shark in that video. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I like this song. I, you know, gr- another great song. Probably as close as the album has to ballad, probably. But good harmonies on this on this song, too. Just another great tune.
just even to me beautiful guitar melody that you could literally sing right the solos the same way and this song topped out at number six so here's the five it couldn't beat stuck on you lionel richie let's go crazy prince she bob cindy lopper missing you by john Waite, and what's love got to do with the tina turner like huey lewis must have been just like guys just give up like there's no way to beat any of these guys he should just take six and just run. <laughs> you know, like I got six, I won. I'm taking it. You know, and you know, I want you wonder if if that's not the reaction. You know, the reaction is when you look at that, and you know, from a from a record company label perspective, it's like you know we want to keep you on the charts, we want to keep you in here, and let's put another top ten out. Yeah, because I in the from a sequencing perspective, did this come out before Walking on the Thin Line? Uh, that part I'm not sure. I'll tell you. Yeah. It was, let's see, if this was it, was released April 10 of 84, Walking a Thin Line was October of 84. Oh, okay. Okay. But, Stephen, one of the things is, and the reason this song, I think, did so well, when you write a story that's relatable to literally everybody on the planet, because everybody's been through a relationship with somebody that ended, right, it just fits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. And the thing about it is, is that even though that is the theme of this song, it doesn't necessarily feel that way with the with the vibe of the song, the chord structure and the and the, the um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. it's almost a happy vibe type song, yeah. even though it's not a happy song lyrically. Yeah, yeah, well, it's yeah. like he's okay with it. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, tell it's, me just it's like, over, okay. and I'll just yeah, go. Let's go. Let's yeah. move on. Let's be done. Let's yeah. in the back. In the, it's behind us. The other thing is, is that says a lot about this album. This song is coming towards the end of the record. Think of everything that we've already heard in front, and this is the tune towards the end. Yeah. Like, if the quality of material is so damn good that you're putting it in the you know number eight slot of an of a 10 song 11 song album whatever that's that's crazy to me that says a lot yeah so then the second to last song we got is you crack me up and bill in this one it it has more of a new wave feel again like this is like older huey lewis to me and this is the worst song on the record for me just just only because it's not a bad song it's just with the rest of the record it to me it 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 fits because of Huey Lewis's previous records, but it doesn't really fit the tone of this record to me. But yeah, you know, I, if it wouldn't have been on there, I'd have been okay with that. But it's not a complete trash song at all. Yeah. It's not like the last record that you made me review. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be Def Leppard slang. Um, <laughs> Steven, it has a great guitar melody at least. I don't mind this song. Again, this was another song just like Finally Found a Home where I didn't know it. I actually like the song. I think it's fun. I mean, that's, yeah, it doesn't stand up to the rest of the material on the record. I get that. But it's really hard to have nine songs that are all perfect, you know? Uh, Really? Prince did it? (sighs) Uh, more than once. <laughs> I'm not even sure Prince did it. Oh, come on, dude. Purple Rain? 
<laughs> I bet I could find one that's oh okay. Oh, my God. Man, I don't know about that. Good luck with that one. <laughs> All I'm saying is that it's a hard task to do. It, it is a very it hard. Is. I it mean, is. how many albums are, are seriously that perfect? Yeah. Uh, so, I, yeah. <laughs> So you crack me up. I mean, again, it's a song I don't mind. Just doesn't necessarily stack up to the rest of the material. to bring you a special report. Look at all the people here tonight! Oh, man! I got to make an announcement right here. Can you hear me out there? It's time to take a quick break in the action from this week's episode. Sonny and I just wanted to thank all of you, the listeners, for joining us each and every week. Whether you just found us today or have been listening for multiple episodes, we love your passion for music and rock and roll in general. We consider you all part of our loud minority family. Always remember you can communicate with us a few different ways. If you don't mind Facebook, head over to the Growing Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group and be part of the conversation. It's a private group and all you have to do is ask to join, answer a few rock and roll questions, and you're in. If you despise Facebook, which many people do, then send us an email to growinguprock at gmail.com. We get everything there. You can follow us on Twitter and Insta at Growing Up Rock, which is one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. In the event you feel entertained by our podcast, we would appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode and go leave us a five-star review either at Apple Podcast or Podchaser. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program. And then the last song we got, Honky Tonk Blues and Bill Hank Williams, 1952, and then Charlie Pry did it in 1980, and I guess Huey thought he needed to do it in 1984. I think it's a pretty cool arrangement of the song. I think they kind of, you know, they did try to change the arrangement a little bit and rock it up to a degree. It's got really good harmonies. You know, it's kind of weird because when you go through this record and you get to the, you got so much again like what like what you said steven it's you get so much good stuff for the first eight songs or nine songs or whatever and then the last two songs are kind of like 
for me, it was like, eh. And then that song is like, it's a cool arrangement, but I'm not sure that if it had been left off, I'd have been okay with that. So, Stephen, here's my thoughts on it. Possibly one of the worst album closers <laughs> in fucking history. This is not needed. You want to pay homage to people who influence you? It was all over the other eight or nine songs. We didn't need this crap. This would be a, a, a Desert Island album for me if it wasn't for this shitty Hank Williams song at the end. Yeah, for me, <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> I mean, this, so we talked about on the last song where you crack me up probably wasn't up to par with some of the material on the record, but the gap to me was not, it wasn't like, you know, the gap to me was like this, like you crack me up would be the best song on a lot of people's albums, but because it's on this record with all the rest of those songs, the gap was like this. It wasn't quite as good. This song is like. I, I don't get it. Yeah, Grand Canyon. I don't get it. I could do without it. They could have ended it at You Crack Me Up and I'd have been fine, I think, uh, with the album as a whole, you know. But, yeah, it's just, I, I don't like it. I'll pass on that. I didn't look through the catalog, but did, did, he, did he do a, you know, did he do a cover song on, 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 on all the other records, too? Do you know? I don't know because I didn't know Exile was a cover song. So now I have to go back and check how many of these songs were cover songs because I didn't know that. Yeah, that's interesting because there's a lot of other, there's some really good Exile songs that he could have chosen besides yeah. that one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. So I want to get everybody's top two, bottom two, and get some final thoughts. I'll start here. My top two, if this is it, I want a new drug. Two damn near perfect pop rock songs. My bottom two is that piece of shit, honky talk blues. And then you cracked me up. I was like, man, final thoughts for me. It's a great pop rock album. Fun. Listen songs are like everyday type stories that people can connect with that people would understand. And there's just some outstanding songs on this album that if people haven't heard it, it's an absolute shame. But I can tell you that my 20 something four kids that have heard this loved it immediately the singles that were big because there's something that connected to them. They didn't understand all the lyrics and blah, blah, blah. It was just kind of like the melody stuck with them. Bill, how about your top two, bottom two and final thoughts? Yeah. So top two, I'm going to say uh, bad is bad is one of my top two. Cause I, I just like to do up stuff a lot. Um, and I'm going to go with uh, the heart of rock and roll. Just, I think that beginning of that coming in with the heartbeat, stuff like that, I think it just set the tone for the record. I think it was a great opener. 
Um, so that's it. My bottom two definitely are the same ones as yours, Sonny. I, you cracked me up the Honky Tonk Blues. I liked the version they did of Honky Tonk Blues. I just don't know that I liked it on this record. Yeah. So I'm not sure what record I would have liked it on, but <laughs> I just, it just, I liked the version. I just, I don't know. I don't know. It just didn't make sense to me to be on there. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, the great, it, it is a really good record. And, um, you know, I, I will tell you just the same thing I, I said earlier. Every time I see somebody at a rock show and they got their kids with them, I'm like, that's good parenting moment. Yeah. And uh, this is another one too. My kids, same way. Yeah. And the, the good thing is, is you can put this on and sing to just about the whole damn thing. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And there's no F-bombs. You don't got to worry about, nope. you know, it's bad it's clean. music. Yeah. Yeah. Vanilla. Yeah. <laughs> Steven, how about you? So my top two are, and I kind of gave it away a little bit earlier. I absolutely love walking up in line. So that's definitely one of my top two songs. The second one is I Want a New Drug. Can't get away from it. It's just a great tune. My bottom two, uh, and this is the great thing about not having a perfect album in front of you, is you need a bathroom break song, and Honky Tonk Blues is that bathroom break song. So it's a three-peat for all of us, Honky Tonk Blues, and you crack me up. Yeah. All right, so we're going to go with an interesting kiss connection. Hey, Hollywood, you know what time it is. Let's connect it to kiss. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world, kiss. So for the Kiss Connection, we're going to keep it with the 83 theme, and we're going to go with Michael Bolton. So not only is Michael Bolton co-written songs with Kiss, but he had some Kiss members in his own band. So from Bolton's third album called Michael Bolton, released in 1983 when he was still trying to be rock, here is Michael Bolton on vocals, Jan Mullaney on keyboards, Mark Clark on bass, Chuck Burgey on drums, the Kiss undercover dude. Bob Kulik, rest in peace, on rhythm guitar. And then some say, and I do too, possibly the best Kiss guitarist ever, Bruce Kulik, on lead guitar. Here's the song, She Did the Same Thing. Yeah, so that's an interesting song. I thought maybe that was like a blackjack song, or I thought you were going to tell me that 
uh, Huey Lewis played harmonica on it or <laughs> something like that. I was wondering what the connection was going to be. Uh, I, I still remember Fool's Game from Michael Bolton in the early years of MTV with his long hair and rocker leather pants. Yeah, I was doing some stuff around the house. I just put I put my headphones on and I put Michael Bolton on the thing. And there's some Gina's a great song. I mean, there's so many. He's got so many great songs. Bill, speaking of uh, Michael Bolton, Sonny and I just recently got copies of this uh, Michael Bolton tribute album that Frontiers Records did. Pretty good. It's not bad. It's got it's got all the rock and stuff on it, right? Yeah, what is it called? It's got a heart, but it's made of metal or something like that on the cover. Yeah, yeah I think it's called cool. Steel Bars, I think. A yeah, it is Steel Bars. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what it's called. Yeah. Yep, that's it. Yep. All right, so that's it. Huey Lewis and the News Sports Celebrating 40 Years is in the book for our album series this year. Yeah, it was a good episode. I like this album a lot. Like I said, this is the first opportunity I've had to go through the whole record in a very long time and found a couple of songs that I wasn't familiar with that I liked and found one that I wish I'd never heard before because it sucked. But the rest of the record is great. So uh, it's it's been fantastic. Thanks, Bill, for coming on. I appreciate you uh, showing up to do this and arrange your schedule so that uh, it worked. Yeah, it was great, man. I, I really appreciate you guys asking me and asking me after I had an opportunity to pick a good record as opposed to Def Leppard Sling, which was the first time I got asked to be on. So there you go. Anyway, it's been it's been a great time, so I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Next time, it's going to be Rockwell. So you have to continuously listen to, <laughs> I always feel like somebody's watching me. Yeah, I, I, I don't like even know any other song on that album. That's Miley. the only song anybody ever knows. <laughs> We don't know what the album series is going to be next year. We haven't even really discussed it yet. Still summertime. It's at least it's summertime when we're recording this. It won't be summertime when it comes out. But anyway, yeah. So great time. Thanks again, Bill Algie. Go listen to the Ages of Rock podcast uh, with Bill Dennis and our old friend, Mr. Al. Uh, so, yeah. Sonny, do you have anything to add before we get up on out of here? No, thanks for listening. Try Huey Lewis Sports. It's a great album. That's it. See ya. Later. That's the show. So let's shuffle, rattle, and roll us out of here. Until next week. Always remember, peace, love, and rock and roll. Growing Up Rock is a proud member of the Pantheon Network. Pantheon is the place for music lovers.
Check us out along with many other great music podcasts on the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.